Welcome to Shop Talk Live, episode number 181. On today's episode, we talk about small shop concessions, when to use stretchers on a piece, shop lighting, and stock of steel. We've got a great show for you, but before we get started, I want everyone to know that we've just finished posting all of Chris Gochner's video workshop, 20 episodes all told. So if you're the type who waits until the end so you can binge watch everything, it's time. It's long though, so be prepared. It's a master of hand tool techniques and skill doing everything by hand on a shaker Enfield cupboard. It's a beautiful piece. It's a really great video workshop. It's something that all of us at Fine Woodworking are very, very proud to put the Fine Woodworking stamp on. Head on over to the website and check that out. If you've watched it, and if you liked it, or even if you didn't like it, we want to know why. So on episode 12, there's a link to a survey, and I put a link on episode one as well. I would love it if everyone could go and take that survey and tell us what we're doing right and tell us what we're doing wrong. We really want to make these video workshops what you want them to be. So the only way to do that is for your input to tell us what you like and what you don't like, and also tell us what you'd like to see from us in the future. All right, let's get the show started. Here is John Tetro, Anissa Capsalis, and me, your host, Ben Strano. Should we get going on question number one? Sure. Anybody? Sure. All right. Let's just jump right in. Instead of like question number two? Well, <laughs> sometimes sometimes I, I plan ahead to start a conversation, like as to something, you know, like for some reason, I don't know, I've always had like, do you actually detention your bandsaw blade? Look at this naturally happen. Never. You've ne- I don't either. Do you? Yeah. Do you detention your bandsaw blade? Because I don't use the shop that much. And that's, that's the key is... Yep. You don't want to wear out the tire in one spot or something? No. For me, the bearings are already kind of making weird noises. <laughs> so I feel like that just helps it a little bit. <laughs> leg up. I <laughs> A leg up? Yeah. Leg up. <laughs> I actually just had to replace the bearings in my table saw. And it was not... I mean, it was a pain. But um, it was... It was not that difficult of a task. I would, I'd be willing to bet that your bands would be similar. Yeah, I have to look into that sometime. You know what? I I actually uh, I was googling like you know Delta Unisaw bearing noise or something like that, and I come to a sawmill and like an old Sawmill Creek post, and at the end of it, there was like there was an answer that was really really good. Like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. It was Matt Kenny. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I texted him. I was asking him more questions. I was like, "Hey, what did you?" And he goes, "Oh, I don't remember what. What are you talking about?" And it's like he didn't. All of the information was gone from yeah. his head. But yeah, it's kind of in. It's just like in a swirl. Yeah, you know, it's hard to just because you're doing it and seeing it so yeah. much and mm-hmm. for so long. But yeah, the the bearings. Yeah, I've that Unisaw now is or Mike's old saw is is running. Like a top. Nice. So, and he's, I told him that and he was all like put out. Yeah. He said, well, I'll take it back now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all souped up. <laughs> even yeah, saw, scary. Even swap for the saw stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. No, well, I just dropped $200 on a guard. So I'm excited about that coming in too now. 
Like a blade guard? Yeah. Yeah, because – so I've never had a table saw without a riving knife. Mm-hmm. And even just using it like the five times that I have, it's just – like I know back in the 60s nobody wore seatbelts, you know, and nobody used riving knives or splitters. Mm-hmm. And, but now when you grow up always wearing your seatbelt, mm-hmm. even pulling out of the driveway – Without, you know, like if I'm moving the car in the driveway and I'm not wearing the seatbelt, I feel weird. I'm the same way with the riving knife. So um, I decided to just, uh, there's the arc shark guard or whatever, um, that it's kind of like a riving knife. You have to adjust the height of the knife in relation Mm -hmm. to the blade. But I decided to get that. And then I thought, you know, if I'm doing rips or, you know, something where the guard isn't in the way, I'll actually use it. So, yep. yeah. That one's like steel too, right? It's the, not, the knife is. The, bl- the knife, yeah. The riving yeah. knife. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. It's exciting. My, sh- my shop is like coming together. No more excuses. But So it might not even take you until May to start making things. I know. <laughs> it's like it really, it really happened quick. I, I have very, very little to do on my shop now. That's I great. I'm officially out of excuses, so. Now I just need to figure out what I'm going to make. But uh, all right. Question number one is from our friend Dean Hedstrom. Uh, I have an enjoyable dilemma. I am building a garage with an adjacent shop space at our north home. The shop is 200 square feet, one third the size of my St. Paul shop, and thus creates a challenge adapting to a small space. I've been devouring all the fine woodworking articles on small shops and believe I can make this space workable, but I will have to make some concessions, mainly my table saw, jointer, and planer. Will I be satisfied and served by a portable contractor-style t- table saw and a combination jointer planer? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Now, you have both used, I think, the same contractor saw, right? Them? Didn't you sell it to him at one point? I did, like but that was like a hybrid. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, half closed in and it had a sliding table on it. It was yep. a DeWalt. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It was a pretty beefy. It wasn't like a portable contractor saw. Okay. Right. It was pretty heavy and stationary. Yep. What did you have before that? I think I had like a really, gosh, what's happening to my mind? It was like a, just like a portable little contractor saw, mm-hmm. I think before that. Like when you say like, like a portable, you throw it in the back of a pickup truck? That, yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I grew up using my dad's radial arm saw. So okay, so anything's better than that. Step up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that thing sent me to the hospital once. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I was doing something I shouldn't have. <laughs> You're never supposed to rip with a radial arm saw. Very bad. Uh-huh. So the kickback got me, actually, and it, it cut off the top of these fingertips. Yeah. Really? So it wasn't the blade, yeah. The piece did? hmm Wow. Yeah. Okay. Learn new things every day? Yeah. But so so you would you use like a portable table saw for joinery, tenons and the such? Yeah. Or just for sizing stock? I, if that's all I had, yeah, I okay. would try and set it up as 
perfectly as I could, but yeah, I would. You? Yeah. I think they're better now too. Like we did a test not too long ago um, on portable saws and I think like the the Bosch and the Rigid um, were both really good, you know, for joints. Yeah. And joinery cuts. I don't know about the rigid, but the Bosch definitely like folds up too. So that'll give you extra space in your shop. Yep. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine has that one. Yeah. For a while I was planning on doing that on getting like the saw stop portable oh, and just yeah. roll it out of the way. Um, because my shop's smallish. Um, and I do think that I would like to get away from using the table saw as much as I do. You know, when I have a five horsepower saw stop right there or something. But um, the only portable saw I worked on was an old Ryobi that was literally thrown into the back of a pickup truck many, many times when I was working construction. And that saw, no way, you know. And it's it's got nothing to do with the saw as it was new. It was just beat up and you could just see the blade wobble as you were using it. Hmm. Um, But uh, I think that if I had a new contractor style saw, um, I've, I've used the Bosch a little, it's, it's a really nice saw. Yeah, it is. They're loud. That's the only thing. They're very, very loud. And it's, it's a, it's an ear piercing frequency. So I think I would probably wind up using it even less because it's not as pleasant to use. But if if you need a table saw, that'll get the job done. Or with a small shop, just stick with the bandsaw, you know, depending on what he wants to do with it. But you might get away with just the bandsaw. Yeah. I think he wanted to use it for um, – I had it in the other version. I edited this down a little bit. But I think he was pl- planning on using it for cutting tenons and, you know, uh, tenon cheeks. Mm-hmm. Um. But, I mean, if you're not doing big honking pieces, you probably get away with it, no problem. Uh, anything else, I, I lean towards the track saw anyways, but big rips. But. You know, I see a ton of shops, obviously. Um, <clears throat> and you kind of, it's like when you, you know that thing you do when you've talked with somebody, you're communicated with somebody, and you get a mental image of what they're like before you meet them? Kind of happens with shops where I I communicate with the woodworker and I've seen their work and I kind of get a an idea of what I what I think their shop is going to look like and um, I was just shooting last month I don't know if I should should I name names do I name names what David yeah 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 okay you name you name names then so David Johnson does this amazing um, restoration work on oh, like the classic chairs. Yeah. And um, his Instagram page is side, sidecar, furniture. sidecar Furniture, definitely well worth looking at. But uh, based on the restoration stuff, I see photographs of him doing yeah. and his own personal work. I had a sense of what his shop was going to be like. And it was absolutely nothing like what I thought it was going to be like. It was, I think, the smallest shop I've ever been in. And when I walked in there, I was just more in awe of the work that he does because Mm of how small his shop space was, but also how smart 
his setup was. So everything was on mobile bases, everything. And um, if my memory serves me, and it might not, I'm pretty sure he had a, a Powermatic cabinet saw, but he didn't have like big wings on it. It was mm-hmm. just the saw, and it was on a mobile base. But even his um, his tool rack, the way he kept his tools, I took a photograph of it because it was kind of just brilliant. It's all you need, and it's a shelf with a spot for... I can send you the photo, a spot for hand tools, and all his everything he needs is right there on one um, shelf and and tool holder, tool mm-hmm. rest thing. It was really smart. I keep is saying that the same rolled thing. around too? That did not roll around. That was anchored to the wall. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> but his, his workstation, it was just all pushed aside. And cool. I mean, he's out there every night. You know, he's a pro. Yeah, total work. pro and amazing. Everything he he shows is just beautiful. Yeah. And I expected this like huge space, which also indicates how little I know about LA, but I expected <laughs> it, I expected a huge space with just high end everything. And he's just doing incredible work with the tools that he needs. Well, but he's obviously well complimented in his shop is because I was emailing with him because we we're talking about doing doing a project, and he was, he was. Oh yeah. I was thinking, okay, he's got a bandsaw and a table saw and a set of chisels. After listening right. to you, and and he's like, oh, well, I do that on the multi router. I'm like, what? <laughs> which is on a which is on a mobile base. Yeah, yeah. But like a multi router <laughs> is not you know your top five. No, tools. it's not. That's, that's you know definitely something that that a pro would have. Right. And, and usually in a large shop. But he so he's he's got to be pretty smart with it because he has a lot of tools. He does, yeah. He does. He has a bandsaw and a table saw, and he has the multi router, and uh, they were kind of packed in there. He must have a jointer and a planer, mm-hmm. um, like a combo machine. Or man, who started talking about this? You? I don't think it's a kind of. I don't think it's a combo machine, but. Um, uh, a combo machine would be – I wouldn't be against that. If, I, w- I if, wouldn't have a hesitation to use yeah. a combo machine. Yeah, I've never used one, but people I know that have them like them. Yeah. I mean all I know is Tim Rousseau has one, so that's reason enough for me to do anything. <laughs> if Tim Rousseau does it, I'm game. Yep. And you kind of do what you can with what you have Yeah, and the space that you have and you make it work. It's just about being smart and efficient in the space that you have. Yep. And like Tim's shop – the interesting thing to me is he he doesn't have a small shop by any stretch of the imagination. He's got a pretty well, I'd say medium sized shop, um, but the layout of Tim's shop is phenomenal. We have a shop tour video that we'll have to get out soon. Um, the layout is phenomenal, and it, but it's one of those things that I don't think the layout could be anywhere near as 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 well done without the combo machine. Hmm. It just opens up so many pathways. For not having to have a big plane or not having to have a separate joiner, and then Tim's combo machine is also um, a uh, slot mortiser, so it really covers a lot of territory in, in a small footprint. But I wouldn't hesitate to have a combo machine, especially because I'm not doing pro work where it's like the time switching between joiner to planer and having to move the bed up and down. That 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 wouldn't bother me because I'm out there 
as a hobbyist having fun anyways. So Right. Usually get a wider joiner too, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. Like 12-inch combo usually? Yeah. Kind of I a think standard they make size. 10-inch combos, but yeah. even then that's a huge joiner. So. Yeah. Yeah. But well I have a question based on this one. What about the horsepower on the contractor saws? As far as doing, I mean you couldn't really Well, okay, so I believe he was talking about getting a pretty decent sized bandsaw. So if you're ripping 8 quarter oak or something like that, you do it on the bandsaw. Mm-hmm. Right? And then do your joinery. What, what what do you really need a lot of horsepower in a table saw for? I guess just rips for thick pieces. Yeah. So, there you go. Just thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. Before your DeWalt, I had a rigid contractor saw, not like the portable like fold-up one, but with the base. Mm-hmm. Um, you had that for a long time. 15 yeah. years or something. I think that was like a horse and a half, maybe one and three quarter. Mm-hmm. That's fine for anything I ever did. Cool. Right up. All right, let's go to question number two, which is from Tank. And all right, is there a guideline for when stretchers are needed to strengthen a piece? I'm looking to build an entryway table from oak that is 32 inches high, 60 inches long, and 12 inches deep with a two and a half inch apron and two inch legs that taper down to one inch. I prefer simple designs. I would rather not have stretchers. And I quickly did a, a SketchUp mock-up of this because I I couldn't really picture it. And for me, I think the guideline is like, does it look like it's too small? Does it look like it's going to fall apart? And um, like just looking at the SketchUp, it looks like, you know, for an entry table, you're not doing, you know, don't use it as a workout apparatus right hold some keys in a vase yeah. with flowers yeah um i would be more concerned with like the the width of the top like it being tippy once you get that long oh you know what i mean like i think he said 12 inches mm-hmm. that might want to be you know in those proportions maybe like 14 or something just to give um, a little bit more of a stable base yeah for that length Especially because the legs would probably not be right at that. Well, I don't know. Um, I mean, if his legs were at the the extreme di- outs- outside dimensions, mm-hmm. he would have 12 inches. But if they're inset at all, yep. yeah, it might wind up being tippy. Um, yeah. I mean, if he's concerned about strength, he could go a little wider with the apron. Um or another thing I thought of was uh, Mike's floating or floating top sewing table, that, that mm-hmm. small table where mm-hmm. he, I think on the sides, he lowered um, lowered the apron kind of to be, be like a lower stretcher. You could almost do that on the oh, front. Yeah. You know, you could do that in the front long section and that would, that would uh, give you some strength lower down. Oh, so the the stretch the apron's not all the way at the top, not attached yeah, to the top, it's but it winds bring up. it down a little bit. Oh, okay, and then we give you more racking yep. strength. Huh, that's interesting. Thought. How would you attach the tabletop? Because Mike has the stretchers that go in between. Yeah, you could do the same thing. Okay, that little I think you had like stretchers that had a little cutout to pop the top up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Thought. That's a good solution. Uh, this is getting a little long for me. That's five feet, right? Yeah. I don't know. You're putting a stretcher? Yeah. Maybe. So what would what would a modern solution to a stretcher be? I don't I'm actually in the same boat as Tank. Tank? Is that how you I think so? Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to design a table to go under a piece that I made a long time ago and I want it to be very sparse and not have the stretcher, but it's not nearly as wide. It's made specifically for a piece that's probably two feet wide, and so it's probably going to be three feet max. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that, like I worry, I think I'm going to end up making a pine mock-up and seeing how that lives okay. before I commit to not having a stretcher. I don't want the visible line, but I just want to, I'm not convinced that it's going to work the way I have it designed. Five feet seems long to me. Okay. And the, but there's no there's no set of rules like anything over this. You need to do that. Anything in this, it's really like in a bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no sagulator. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who don't know, the sagulator is a, a, a little computer program where you type in how long the shelf is going to be and how much weight it's going to be on it. It'll tell you how much the shelf will will sag. Uh, I'll post a a link to it. It's actually a really great resource. It's a really great word too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I, I kind of look at it like if Jeff, if you put up the picture of my, my little side table, um, I've always thought that this table could kind of use a stretcher because it's, and the, the legs are really, really delicate. I think they go down to about half an inch on the bottom, but it's a little shaker table that, that I made and I wanted it to look as delicate as possible. Um, but there are times when I sit there and I, I'll look at it. I love, I, I love this piece, but I'll go, if I sat on that, that thing would just absolutely burst into a million pieces. Cause I know it cannot take that much weight. Um, but it uh, doesn't it need could. to. You, you think it could? Yeah. I think it could. I don't yeah. think I'm sitting on, on that table. I'm not going to, prove you wrong well who's gonna sit on your table anyway exactly yeah but don't you ever like (laughs) don't you ever sit there and think like how easily you could destroy a random thing in the room am i am i am i showing too many cards right now yeah (laughs) yeah i think so (laughs) so you picture just like walking up and you don't like look at fluorescent bulbs and think like wouldn't it be cool if i just threw something smashed all of those But the sound. <laughs> no. No, but since Dylan Ryan, it, Dylan, shout out to Dylan. Yeah. I'm dying before the only thing on my the, my one item bucket list is I want to find that stretch of abandoned highway with the overpass that Dylan used to talk about where he would get bowling balls and just <laughs> drop them and oh watch them smash. Yeah, okay. Hey Dylan, you out there? Anissa's looking for <laughs> some, yeah. So I'm collecting them at Salvation Armies and thrift Are you stores and yards. Balls? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. I think you just became the weirdest person in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I but like I I will sit there and look at that table sometimes and just go like, man, that table would 
smash into a million pieces if I sat on it. And I'm not a little it's guy. Connected, let's be though. honest. Yeah. Here. Like yeah. the uh, it's connected down lower. It's yeah. gonna hold yeah. that together. All right. Well, maybe. And I, I, it's perfect. If I ever really tire of it, we'll see what what happens. Video. Yeah. Make a video. <laughs> but a stretcher would ruin that. That's yeah, perfect the I know, way it is. I know. But it's it's delicate. And I treat it as such. It looks delicate. I think it's pretty pretty hardy. Okay. Well. All right. One more quick thought I just had on the entryway table is um is it Robinson that did like the the metal? Oh yeah. Oh Michael kinda, Michael Robbins. Robbins. Yeah. Thanks. Um because that kind of visually disappears a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do like brass rods. Do you think that that added a lot of strength, that brass? You, you worked on the article, right? Mm-mm. Or is that Benson? That was Benson. But right. we have, don't we have an article, the the architectural, you should be channeling Mike's. Di- yeah, the different, I, no, I can't do the that. The different, who can? <laughs> <laughs> um, they did a, a, three different authors did their take on like, Oh, that the, table? Yeah, the hallway yeah. table and different stretchers on it. The authors. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's I'll like, find it like for you. have like an arc or something? Yes. Yeah. Based on a bridge, I think. Correct. See? You've got it going on over there, too, with the memory I'm just writing thing. three authors, three tables, based bridge. I'll find we'll it. We'll see if I yeah. can figure out what that means later on. Did you notice Schofield he's trying to it. rush us through? Schofield did do it. Yeah. He's trying to rush us through these questions. I'm not really? trying to rush. No, you're... Neither one of you are talking. Oh. Really? I said a couple things. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Just got his head in his hand. All right. Uh, maybe our smooth moves will get us uh, going. Who wants to go first? I think Anissa does. Oh, I you, was going to well, say the no, same thing. You, 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 you brought yeah. it up, though. You were the one who declared we were doing something. Exactly. Move. We had a choice, and you made it for all of us, so yeah. you go first. Okay. Um, it just seemed like the easiest one because mess up Who doesn't a lot of mess stuff. up all the time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so working on our front porch and closing it into a usable room and getting very close to finishing it. You know, putting in the wood floors is one of the final things. So, you know, it took extra time to, like, get the floor smooth, sand it first. Um, the fur floor? Yep. Okay. Yeah, vertical grain, like dug fur. Um, so, you know, did that as well as I could. And then first coat of poly with, like, those lamb's wool applicators, like those little rectangle ones on the rod, on, on a you know, broom, handle. Broom handle. Broom stick, yeah. yeah. Um, put that on nice and thick, didn't sand before the second coat, put that on nice and thick as well. And then sanded right through the grits up to like, I think 220, 180. Um, then I thought this is for the final coat, make this look really good. I even put on like a new lambswool applicator because, mm-hmm. you know, just to make sure there's no gunk in the old one. Then I did like the damp cloth, got everything off, you know, put a piece of plastic between the next room to just kind of get a really nice last coat. And then didn't remember to like brush out all those little things in the in the lamb's wool piece. Mm. Oh, beforehand, before you. Yeah. So I put down that last coat and it's done. And it's like limited time as well because like 
my wife and the kids were coming home and it's like, this is the last coat. This has to be the last coat. Um, and it's just like completely filled with tiny little specks of wool. Like the whole, it's like a topographical map. Like Did you see floor. it as it was happening or? No, cause they're tiny. But like as it, as the whole floor like dried and kind of settled, uh-huh. it's just like, it's pretty evenly, completely covered. Oh, so it's a design element. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was just frustrating because you spent, you think you're like spending the time to do it, yeah. you know, as well as you can. And then it's like, no, that's really horrible. There's really, there's really no coming back from it either no. without like sending the wife and kids back out right. of the house for. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they were gone, you know, two days, like overnight, um, so yeah, it's it's how it is. We'll just wear it out. <laughs> is it one of those things that nobody's noticing I was, but I you? I was just about to ask, did, did my Issa come in and say, yeah. well, Pretty much if there's sunlight in the room, you see it. Oh. So at nighttime looks great. But you have furniture on there now, too. And you can get a rug. Get yeah, a nice not, rug. I'm Go to a flea market, get a nice it, rug. No? It is what it is. It's just one of those things you, you know, if I would have just cleaned out that thing really well. Before the last coat, it probably would look pretty good. I did something similar with, um, I was putting like a, a, a last coat of shellac on a piece. And I think it was the first time I was using shellac. And I was putting a last coat on and I just grabbed, you know, the bag of rags um, that you buy in the store. I grab a rag out of it, dip it in the shellac wipe it on and it was like the nubbiest piece of fabric I've ever seen. Mm. Cause normally it's like, you know, old t-shirts or something like that in the bag of rags and you're fine. This was like the exact opposite. It was just like a ball of lint mm. and just one swipe across the piece just laid ungodly amounts of lint into the shellac, which, you know, melted everything. And like that, I swear that lint just went right down to the, to the, to the wood. And it was, I wound up having a, you know, I think I tried to use denatured alcohol to take all of the shellac off, but it Mm. just, it never really worked that way. Everyone talks about the repairability of shellac, but it never, I was never able to get it all clean and get the finish off to start over again. So I think I wound up just sanding it off. But there was there was a stain, so I had to restain the piece. It it, hmm. it snowballed pretty quickly, but a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. You want me to go next? I have a I have a finishing smooth move. So okay. do you want to break up no. the finishing smooth moves, no, no, or we'll, do you want to we'll, we'll lump them the together? Theme. Okay. I mean, I already just said one, so maybe. Maybe I don't True. have to tell you my other one. It happens with t- that. This whole extra lint thing happens with tissues too. I was somewhere once and maybe a funeral or something. I remember being kind of weepy or my nose was running or something and I was had, was using tissues, somebody else's tissues. I wish I could – this is all I remember about the thing. I don't remember <clears throat> where I was or who I was with, but they could have told me I had little tissue specks all over my face. <laughs> but they didn't. <laughs> I got home later. I was like, what? Oh, right. I was crying somewhere, blowing my nose, and I have tissue everywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not my smooth move, though. All right. Um, that's pretty good, though. Nobody's ever going to let me in, in their shops after I tell this smooth move. So it's a good thing that, that your job is going in other people's shops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> they have to let me in. But this wasn't for work. I don't. Um, I won't name any names. But I was going to a friend's to just hang out at their shop or see what they were doing or pick them up or something. And um, I knew that they had just been working on a finish, and I just wasn't thinking. I know the drill. I walked in and. I said, oh, what a beautiful finish. And I Uh-oh. ran oh. across it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. You were very gracious, but I'm sure there was a major, major rehab that had to be done on it. What kind of finish was it? I don't remember. I think it was like a poly, a white bomb poly, mm. something like that. Wow. Yeah. Like a it tabletop? Was, yeah, I, I think it was a chest of drawers, and I just did it on one of the drawers. Okay. So it could have been Isolated, worse. Yeah. yeah, but it was just, why did I do that? As I was doing it, I realized what I was doing. I was like, oh. <laughs> and as soon as I felt it. I can't it, stop. Oh, it's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> If you're going to do it, go all the way. <laughs> go big or go home. Why do I keep running my hand over this piece? <laughs> oh. All right, so my mine's totally different. Um, mine is trusting a tool that is in a communal shop that you shouldn't trust. And I was um I was I was installing a set of those sauce hinges, those hidden hinges. And they're a little bit finicky to get everything just right. You, you got to really nail the depth because there's, you know, multiple layers that you have to route out and everything. And I know, I know that floor. Yeah, I know what communal shop you're oh, talking about. And, and for the <laughs> listeners, we we off the cuff mentioned that we don't have a shop right now. And all of a sudden everybody's like, what, what do you mean you don't have a shop? And you're not going to tell us what's going on. The building that, that our shop was in got bought by uh, – the town. It's going to be the police department, the police station. And so we had to move out. We only had like a month or two to move out. And so we had to put everything in boxes really quick. And, you know, we, we don't have a, another place to move everything into at the time. So we are fine with working as shopless. Hopefully for not too much longer, but we'll see. Um, but so it's, it's, it's actually kind of nice because it kicked a few of us into gear to get our places together. Yeah, like well, you. you're making more progress than I am, but oh. yeah, eventually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty proud. Um, but so I went into a drawer to get a set of calipers because I want to get the depth of this um, mortise for the hinge just right. So I measure the thickness of of the of the hinge, and I am just excavating it with a chisel and a gouge. Um, and I keep I excavate it to the to the where the caliper the end of the caliper tells me to excavate it to. I'm going. It's deep enough. I take the hinge and it's not going in. So I keep you know messing with it, trying to think. Oh, there's just a little piece or something that's that's holding it up. And after probably half an hour of just getting more frustrated and more frustrated, measuring this the thickness of of the hinge putting the caliper in the hinge mortise and saying, I'm there. I'm more than deep enough. There's no reason why this hinge shouldn't go in. I look at the end of the caliper and, but by the way, the caliper is like this plastic 
junk caliper that like when you look at it, you just I should have thrown it out the moment I saw it. But the end of the caliper is broken off. So when the caliper's closed, it's not you know, oh. the the little stem of the caliper should hit the should be flush with the back of the uh beam. And if the caliper was closed, the the stem was not flush with the back of the beam. I was never getting an accurate reading. It was always an eighth of an inch too short, no matter what I was doing. And I really try and not blame the tool, but this was one of those circumstances where it was absolutely the tool. The tool was broken, was was broken. And I'm sitting there being stubborn thinking, no, it's something I'm doing wrong. It's something I'm doing wrong. I don't think that it could possibly be the tool's fault. But this was one circumstance where the tool was at fault and it wound up in the garbage that day. Threw it right out. Did you ask before you threw a fine woodworking tool away? Nope. That's and if I get let go for that one, <laughs> <laughs> if Tom listens that far into the episode and says, I've been looking for that one. Did you have to remake that piece for the hinge? Yeah, to go what in? did you do? No, well, fortunately, it was just never the mortise was never deep enough. Oh, good. Oh. You know, because the the piece was was measuring mm-hmm. too shallow. Yeah, too too shallow. So I just, but it was like this stupid like what, like I'd remeasure it, check it, remeasure it. No, I'm there, and then the, but it's it's one of those things like when you're fitting a drawer, if you don't. You you might think that you're catching that you're hanging up on the sides of the drawer, and it turns out you're hanging up on the top. So by the time you realize that the top is what you needed to plane off, the sides are are wobbly or something like that. I think that the fit of the mortise wound up not being quite tight enough, and I wound up throwing the piece away anyways. But how long did that whole process take between when you started and realized? Oh, oh I, it's I, broken. I mean, probably I said half an hour, but it was in reality probably at least fifteen minutes. Of just chasing my tail. What are you going to do? It's a long time to chase a yeah, tail you it, don't have. Yeah. It's gone, so it won't happen again. Yeah, right. I think it's in the burn pile. So, yeah. Oh, I mean, I meant the tool, not the... Uh, well, the piece, too. Yeah. That's yeah, a little was, sad. Well, it just didn't... That piece was... Uh, I took too long with it. Pieces wound up warping. Um, it was just doomed from the start. I got too complicated with it, as I have a major tendency to do. I was, you know, it's like you watch Craig Thibodeau's feed on Instagram and you think, oh, I can do all these like mechanized things and this and that. And I was trying to make it so that when I opened this up, this drawer unlocked and this did that. And I got, I need to concentrate on making furniture, not on making mechanisms to lock furniture. And uh, while I was trying to figure all that out, and the, the pieces just all warped and went wonky on me. So I decided to just bail on it. I'll come back to it at some point. Cool. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss shop lighting and wood that seems to develop a skin of steel. <laughs> Let's be honest. Spending all of your time with non-woodworkers is lame. Right? Maybe you should go to Fine Woodworking Live, April 26th through 28th in Southbridge, Massachusetts. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be surrounded by woodworkers and famous woodworkers too. Chris Schwarz, Chris Gottner, Chris Bexford, 
We've got three Chris's, so you know it's good. I think you should head on over to finewaterkinglive.com, check out the presenter lineup. It's pretty overwhelmingly awesome. And come spend time with people who are like you, kind of weird and really into woodworking. See you there. Question number three. When I set up my workshop, I positioned the bench facing a south-facing window and installed fluorescent lights directly above the bench at about eight feet above the floor. If I have a board on edge, any markings on the side facing my body are difficult to see because that area is in the shadow. I want to avoid using task lights whenever possible as they get in the way. I'm thinking that more overhead lighting is the answer. Do you have any thoughts about where this should be positioned to minimize shadow areas when I'm working at the bench? And this is, this is a hard one to answer without like, you know, seeing the shop and knowing exactly what's going on. Yeah. But I mean, South facing windows tough because if I understand it correctly, South facing window, you're getting more direct sunlight in the window than with a North facing window. So it's probably a brighter window than a North facing window, right? Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome. <laughs> You're looking at me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I, I knew you would you would have the answer. Um, so you've probably got to throw a lot of light on the other side in order to overwhelm that, right? Yeah. So I was thinking he could maybe just spin the bench. So like the south light is coming in, like raking over the bench and then... Mm-hmm you know, stand on which side of the bench, depending if he's righty or lefty. Um, even though you're going to use both hands at some point doing stuff. But um, the other thought, which is kind of weird, is a headlamp. <laughs> <laughs> like those little hiking, you know, they're right. so light yeah, you can't I even tell like they're you're, on. you're the type of guy who like looks for excuses to wear a headlamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are pretty cool. Going out to get wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's nighttime when you're going out to get the wood, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, they, you no, can't really tell they're if you did it during the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I know. I told you it was weird before I said it. <laughs> no. Um, now, what is there a general rule of thumb of where you want to place shop lights? I, I, I've just always thought that the more the better. I think the more the better and the more evenly dispersed the better. Yeah. But I think it it does sound as though that's what's happening. The lights are raking in through the window. So if the window were here and his work was here and he was on this side, of course this is all going to be dark. Mm -hmm. Um, So. and But he he does have lights up, but without knowing where they are. Right. It's it's impossible to tell. We we did a lighting article, Mm -hmm. I think. Matt. Yeah. Yeah, um, 209, I think it is. Okay. Um, nice. But there's also, there's a website that you can go to on that article, um, and it will, you can plug in all your, where you have everything and mm-hmm. tell you how many candle watts or whatever it is that you need and in what in what spot. Mm-hmm. It's a really, like a, just plug it in and it tells you what to do kind of thing. Um, okay. And I know that one of the things that article says, I remember it saying, don't don't automatically just disperse the light as evenly as you can and get as much of it in there as you possibly can. Don't skimp on lighting, but don't try and do it over every workstation because you may end up changing 
where your where your bench is or where your table uh-huh. saw is. Like you might end up moving things around. So don't just try and and skimp and put a fluorescent over each station because not only might you change things, but it'll the light will be uneven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So across the whole room, but it was it was a really good article. I'm uh, I'm in the middle of trying to nail down the lighting and. I've got uh, in my ceiling just one long row of uh, fluorescent panels. Um, my brother's in lighting. Like that's his job is he sells lighting. And I don't know if stuff falls off a truck or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it's like you wind up with extras or something. And, and he, he brought me over some. And um, it's great because, <clears throat> you know, the whole run of my shop has this one – nice huge run of lights but it is over off to one side and i went to saw something and i realized oh i'm casting a shadow i need to you know i i can't get any light over here so i've just started um putting clamp lights up and you know they're they're plugged into the same socket as uh as the led uh panels and but it's just in specific places right where I know I'm casting that shadow. I've got a clamp light with like a 100-watt LED or 100-watt equivalent LED blasting out right there, filling in that spot. So, Like a, um, a clamp light like from the ceiling? Yeah. Hmm. It's, it's on the beam and it's just, you know. And eventually maybe I'll put permanent lighting up to, you know, fill those gaps. Mm-hmm. But – Ever since I did that, I haven't found a time where I'm seeing a shadow. And that was with one clamp light. Hmm. Um, now, I do have I, – I installed specific work lights. You know how you have the drill press – the light on a drill press, yeah. a new drill press. And, um, it's kind of like a headlamp on a drill press. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, I, I did one over my lathe. I did one over my bandsaw. So each tool has a clamp light on them. So I'm not, you know, installing, you know, a difficult to install light that, you know, fills the, the task area. Um, but those four clamp lights have really made all the difference in the world. I think about the last week where I just put that, that one light up. And I haven't had an issue at all, um, so maybe just experiment with some with a really cheap fix, like a couple of well placed, you know, cheap porcelain light fixtures or something like that with regular bulb. And because my brother and I were talking, he, you know, his answer for everything is put up fifteen hundred more lights. And he's like, oh, well, we could put up a track, you know, a, a set of track right here. And I've got, you know, these 98 CRI lights and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just try and put this clamp up here. And I was like, oh, that's great. That mm. works. So yeah. uh, try and go cheap first. The track light's a good idea too, though. Because that you can kind of slide those around. To- yeah. And that, I mean, I still might wind up doing that. Um, the My shop is weird. The ceiling is, is like cantilevered almost. And so any place where I've got the height for a lot of lighting is off to one side kind of. Mm-hmm. So the, the track lighting seems like it might be the eventual solution for me. Maybe, um, maybe it would be for, oh, I didn't put his name. Hmm. Well. That's a first. No, I've done that before. Maybe it will be for you, Mr. Question Number Three. <laughs> oh. But okay. 
So we have a weird one, and this one might, I don't know, maybe a listener's got a good answer for for David. Yeah, there's got to be science involved in this one. Yeah. Maybe, maybe one of us has a good answer. Oh, defensive. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, but maybe one of you two have a good answer. I don't know. Judging by the, the small talk, I don't know. But uh, question number four from David. Uh, I am baffled that some ash stock I milled a couple of months ago is now nearly impossible to plane. I cut and milled the ash for a small box a while ago. It was wonderful to work with and easy to plane. I put the pieces aside to enjoy the far too short Minnesota summer. I kept it in the same place all of my wood stock lives, my basement workshop. I was looking forward to getting back to work on the box. I decided to plane all the pieces again. I was dumbfounded that it was nearly impossible to plane. I used the exact same plane I used originally. I ended up resharpening the blade twice and adjusted it to take the finest possible shaving. Still, it would stick and chatter across the board and leave Tara in the middle of the smooth grain. To make sure I wasn't hallucinating, I tried planing some oak and some walnut. It performed beautifully. It was as though it had developed a skin of steel in the time since I first milled it. Any ideas as to what or why this happened? No? <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it more green when he first tried planing it and therefore hmm. yeah, but, a little bit easier to work with? And I had that thought too, but I mean, I'm, I don't think I've ever worked with green ash and I've never found ash difficult to plane. But again, I have I don't think I've ever waited that long. How long and was this? I was I, I mean months ago. Yeah. Hmm. You work with some weird wood and some old gnarly wood. That's why I saved this question for you. Yeah, something weird's going on. Um I've never had that experience. The only thing I could think of is um it wasn't completely dry, like you were thinking, and there was something in the wood, like, you know, um, like a silica or something, like the wood that, like, specific tree happened to suck up and was in the oh. pores of the wood, and that was, like, evaporating to the surface. That's all I got. Sounds like John's making stuff up. Yeah. Well, maybe a little. Because hmm. I was picturing, like, because he also said cellar. Okay. Um. And I was thinking like, um, you know, like efflorescence can like come through the cellar wall. You get like that white. You're looking at me like you never heard of that. Is that a weird thing? Efflorescence? Efflorescence. It's like a salt deposit that comes. So you get that white buildup on the, on the. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I was picturing something like that. He's in a cellar. Maybe he leaned it against the wall. Something. And there's some Transferred to the wood. Between that. I don't know. I am making stuff up. But it's something to think about. I wonder if he's storing it, you know, on a rack right next to a cinder block wall or something like that, maybe. I feel like Jeff would know that. I, I was just going to say. <laughs> Jeff? I don't know. I'm not, I mean, I'm not buying what's going on over there. Yeah. Over, not, the, over Jeff, there. No, oh. over there. <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> yeah, I, I got no... I, I got no answers on this at all. Hmm. I mean, you know, it's not like it's... 
case hardened or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, a hyper dry situation. Yeah, Ash was still playing, you know, but. I mean, is it as simple as the board was going one way? Like, you know, he cleaned it the right direction. Sounds like David's pretty on the ball. Yeah. So, I don't. Dear listeners, Mm -hmm. if you have a good answer, which some of you have been killing it lately in correcting us, which we appreciate. We want we want the truth out there. Right, Anissa? Mm, no. no? Okay. no. All right. Well, as long as it aligns with Anissa's thoughts and beliefs, we want the truth out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, if, if anyone's got any ideas, uh, head over to the show notes and, and put them in the, in the comments. Um, and speaking of comments and people setting us straight – uh, let's see. We've got listener comments. This was on YouTube on Shop Talk Live 180. So, um, and it might go along with uh, our first question today. But this is from Max Bloomfield. Uh, let's see. We had a question about a bench and needing to strengthen the stretchers the longer someone made it. Oh, yeah. yeah. He wanted to go from a Four foot bench like to a three six foot to six foot. Three yeah, foot to like six foot, yeah. Significant, yeah. Um, and I'm going to read it because it's a really good answer, and there's a lot of info in here, though. So you, if, if you want to read it yourself, uh, you head over to YouTube comments on 180. Uh, okay, this is going to get geeky for a minute. Can the stretchers take the load when you lengthen them? Beams supported at both ends respond to loads on them with somewhere between a third and fourth power of the length, meaning that if you double the length, the maximum in-plane bending deflection will be increased by a factor between 8 and 16. So that one-sixteenth of an inch deflection at the center becomes something like a half an inch to an inch of deflection with the same number of people on it, or weight, I assume. But if you're actually going to be putting more on there, that's going to feel flimsy. Cross supports will keep it from being worse, but it won't make it better. So uh, he goes on, should you thicken or widen the stretchers to fix it? Uh, Generally, if you can make them thicker or wider, do whichever makes them closer to square in cross section. Hmm. That will stop deflection the most. That part's really interesting to me. And I don't know if Max knows what he's talking about or he's just typing gibberish because I don't understand most of what I just read. <laughs> but that last part sounded really smart. Make them closer to square in cross-section. Yeah. So they kind of move in the, in the same uh, ratio. Less chance of twisting too maybe, right? Jeff? I don't know. That one kind of surprises me. Okay. Hmm. You, know, you think about... Uh, you know, a, a joist, you get I, wider, not thicker. And that's why mm-hmm. I think like an I-beam, you've got a significant difference in the, you know, like a, a mm-hmm. floor joist, the new style, yeah. whatever those are uh, called. Trust joist. Thank you, Mr. I do home building as well. <laughs> so, yeah, let's start an argument in the comment section if he's wrong. But sounded really right. All right. And then... um First part's right. 
Okay. Well, there you go. Um, on the website on 180, Ed McNearney commented, I haven't even finished listening to the whole episode, but Ben has already scored major points for his enthusiastic endorsement of the Blackwing 602. <laughs> Who knew he had such good taste? They always squeak an insult in right at the end. But Anissa, how do you like the Blackwing 602? Uh, you know what? The, the Blackwing 602 has not made it out of the visor in my car yet, but... It was the topic of conversation in my car last night because one of my kids saw it because it's flashy, even though it's this, it's, <laughs> it's like a, the race car of pencils and it's this beautiful, it's, they're beautiful. Yeah. It's this graphite color and it has the square eraser, which really caught her attention. And she wanted that pencil in the worst way. And I just kept saying, nope. That's from Ben. I get to try it out first. Tell Ben I want one. I said, no, if I like them, I'll order a, a, a box and you can have one. Okay. And um, she's very excited. And she asked what the brush is on the end. And I said, that's the eraser. And I showed her how you can pull out the eraser. Yep. I showed her how perfectly sharpened you made it. Yep. But I have not tried it yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a test between the Micron that Mike likes and that pencil. Well, the Micron's a... Pen. Yes, so I know. Okay, all right. But you, he really likes to draw with that, and yeah, you really yeah. like to draw with the Blackwing yeah. 602. Now, we're having a drawing conversation with the most talented artist I know. Right. I want to see the Black... What's it called? The Blackwing? Yeah. I want to see that. It like is The square stunning. eraser sounds really cool, so you it can is, erase, like, I'll get detail. You. <laughs> it's I'll get beautiful. You. Make them sharpen What do you it. use? What do you draw with? Do you have a, a, a particular... See, you're 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 good whatever. enough that you could just I can pick up whatever I have lying around like, and for like magazine drawings, yeah, uh, different hardness leads of like drawing pencils. Okay, but so you get really specific. I cut out of like the whole case. I kind of use like two. It's like two short ones, and the rest are pretty full. <laughs> um, H, I think, and a. F for detail. It's really hard. Okay. That's good to know. He can pick up um, that pencil right there. Right. Something I know. Better than, yeah. yeah, I know. It's great. All right. But I'll, I'm going to get you a Blackwing 602 now. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. You it want one too, Jeff? Kind of duster oh, yes, too? All right. Okay. Well, if you're giving them away, my, one of my kids <laughs> wants the one. people in the room. The <laughs> I'll get her one. I'll get her one. All right. Um, I thought about giving everyone for, for uh, one for Christmas one year. All right. I have a favorite. First one's free. <laughs> <laughs> you have a favorite? Oh, just unrelated. I have a favorite backpack called the Red Wing 32. Oh. Every time you said Black Wing 602, I was picturing camping. I thought you were going to talk about your favorite headlight. No, I want to get one of those. The one I have is well, not you rechargeable. You don't have one? Oh, okay. All right. Good. You don't have a headlamp? I do, but it's not rechargeable. And it like goes through batteries way right. too fast so you like think about using it like do i really need it right before you use it mm -hmm. if it's rechargeable i'd probably use it a lot aren't mike's shoes red wings his new ones are yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see we had a couple of five-star reviews on itunes and that really does help us uh reach out to new people itunes is they love their five-star reviews and it helps us when you uh find folks Give them to us. Uh, let's see. From Friplo. I own a custom furniture woodworking business in L.A., and I've really enjoyed this podcast. I'm fairly self-taught, 
and really like hearing that I'm not the only one facing the same problems and frustrations in this craft. Really informative, funny, and helpful tips and conversations. Keep up the good work. And then from commentators, um, which made me wonder if they were clockmaker or something, uh, coming in hot on episode 179, and I'm glad I did. I'm newly subscribed to Fine Woodworking, and I am so happy that the comment from the guy who really, really wants Ben's job was addressed <laughs> in the most graceful way possible. I uh, can't wait to get through the back catalog. All right, recommendations. Who wants your job? Oh, there was a guy who, th- who declared I should be fired because it took me two years to get my shop together. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really want to recommend, and as part of this recommendation, this little prideful thing that I recommended it to John Binzen, and he watched it and liked it. It's uh, on PBS's Craft in America, the episode Visionaries. Hmm. Go out and watch it. It's incredible. It's about artists, but not just about artists of all different genres and crafts. It's about the people who collect their art. And the oh. way that they discuss the artists and the collectors and weaving the two together and like how you don't necessarily think about the symbiotic relationship. Hmm. It's, it was just incredibly well made first off. And um, my wife and I watched it and immediately we were thinking of like weird ideas for different things to do with our, our varying talents. It, it, got, it got the, the artistic juices flowing. So hmm. check cool. it out. I'll check it out. Yeah. Anybody else have a recommendation? I do. Um, when I was going to the College of the Redwoods, the one of the things we were supposed to do was watch a um, an older movie called The Violin Maker. And I heard from everybody, past students, instructors, this was an amazing video. And it was just so inspiring and well done and old school. And we ran out of time. And I think... My class was the only class that didn't get to see this video, and it was on a VHS tape, and they pull out the, <laughs> the, the VHS player and um, show it. So I've looked for it. Every once, like, every once in a while, I think about it, and I found on YouTube um, a nine-minute short film about called, I think it's The American Violin Maker. I don't know if it's the same one that they show at the College of Redwoods because I've, I've never seen that one, but it's really beautiful. It just It's a black and white, and it just shows James Reynolds Carlyle making a violin and cool. teaching how to make it. It's just set to violin music. It's really beautiful. Nice. <laughs> All right. I, I, I love luther videos and yeah. violin. Yeah. My my wife will like hear from the other room. She'd be like, "Are you watching guitar making video again?" Because there's a lot of guitar making porn on YouTube. It's great. John, you have any? Just watched um, a Mister Rogers where they visit a stand up bass making shop. That was pretty cool to see. That was more he had like a production harp one too. That was really Ooh. good. I remember. Mm, I haven't got that one yet. Okay. I love Mister Rogers. I think yeah. this was a black and white one too. Yeah. yeah. You said that documentary is really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably, uh, you can probably watch it in your home now and it's easier to cry at home. As long as you have the right tissues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for this episode of Shop Talk Live. If you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show, send them into shoptalkatauten.com. If you're watching on YouTube, please click that thumbs up button. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening. 
I will not talk about anything but woodworking. I'm afraid from that comment. Come on. Flat bottom tacos or round bottom tacos? Flat bottom tacos. You make the rock and world go round. <laughs> See, with the headphones, you can hear that better. <laughs>